0: As usual, Sean Newkirk. Sean, are you ready for some expanded playoffs?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, as a quick tangent, I, I like the thing. Now, I like the expanded playoffs. I was thinking yesterday, I was like, you know, I, I remember liking this idea, if it was not going to lead to a crappy team getting in, and not that, like, um, oh God, the Brewers. That's just, It's not like the Brewers are crappy. They have the, you know, reigning in MVP, but... Um, I think I think I can live with it if a bad a quote unquote bad team or at least a five hundred team makes it in a sixty game season. But if they continue this next year in a hundred sixty two game season and like a a seventy five win team gets in, then yeah, let's let's reevaluate. But uh, I'm ready for the for this. I think it's exciting and the slate of games tomorrow are just well on Tuesday whenever this releases are just absolutely ridiculous all day. So sounds great to me. Okay, we'll talk more
0: about the expanded playoffs in just a minute, but. Uh yeah, the Brewers are one of two teams, actually, that made it in with a losing record, the Houston Astros being the other. So now the Royals, the, the 1981 Royals, are no longer the only team in baseball history to make the playoffs with a losing record. And if you forget, the, the 1981 season was a split season. They split it up into a first half and second half because of the strike in the middle of the se- season. And the Royals uh, played poorly in the first half, but rallied in the second half to, to win the second half. But overall, they, they still had a 50-53, and 53, I think, believe, record. Which was uh, at the time that was the uh, only team ever to make it with a losing record. But now we have two teams in with a losing record. And if they expand the playoffs even more, then I think we're going to probably see more teams make it with an expanded or uh, with a losing record if they expand the playoffs. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to see if that happens or not. Uh, Also joining us, uh, ready for October, is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, the expanded playoffs are kind of growing on me. I will say that. What I'm not looking forward to is five more months, or six more months, five, I guess five five months of off season after we just did like nine months of off season. I'm I'm already over it and it hasn't even started yet. Well, and I was just reading an article about
0: how we're about to have. You know, we've been kind of spoiled this month with like every single sport is going on right now, like hockey, basketball. Uh, baseball, football, uh, soccer, uh, but you know basketball is gonna be over. They're in their NBA finals right now. The Stanley Cups are just about over there in Game Six of the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Baseball is in their postseason already. So like we're all, we're gonna go from like all the sports to like almost no sports here <laughs> in a couple weeks, and that's a problem for a lot of these uh, net, these uh, cable channels that you know usually have basketball and uh, hockey to to have on their on their uh, airwaves this time of year, and they're not going to have that. Maybe, and we'll see what happens with college basketball. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull that off this year. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not looking forward to having no sports again. Uh, that was kind of a bummer over the summer. Um, you know, I guess on the subject of, of baseball kind of being over, uh, it is over for the Royals. They're not going to advance to the postseason. Uh, so that we'll wrap up the season and kind of talk about what went right and wrong for the Royals in just a minute. But, of course, the big news this week uh, was that not only is this the, the last Game of the season for Alex Gordon. It's the last game of his career. He played his last game on Sunday, uh, was pulled after a couple of innings, uh, and got an, a nice salute from his family who was at the game. Uh, Alex Gordon spent his entire 14-year career with the Royals. After being made the number two pick in the 2005 draft, he hit 257 in his career, 338 on-base percentage, 410 slugging percentage, 190 career home runs. That's fourth all-time in club history. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star who won seven gold gloves. Only Frank White has won more gold gloves in club history. And he'll likely be, uh, Gordon will likely be up for another gold glove this year uh, with the way he's played his defense. Uh, he is fourth all-time among position players in Royals history and wins above replacement. But, of course, uh, you know, he's he had a lot of iconic moments, but I perhaps his best, well, best known was his game-tying home run in Game 1 of the 2015 World Series against uh, the Mets. Uh, so a lot of great memories with Alex Gordon. Of course, I think... On our side, he, he tended to be one of the favorites uh, just because he was a guy that uh, I think that, that Sabermetrics kind of showed was more viable than like his batting average and his RBI total. He's a guy that um, w- was able to get on base and a uh, really interesting career in that he began as a third baseman and ended up becoming one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. So Matthew, you know, when you kind of look back on the career of Alex Gordon, perhaps maybe I don't want to presume anything, but maybe one day you're bouncing your grandkids on your lap. And you want to tell them about how you saw Alex Gordon when he was in his prime. What are you going to tell them about Alex Gordon? What really stood out in his career to you?
2: Well, you know, one of the reasons why Alex Gordon was one of, you know, the top 10 best position players between 2011 and 2015 is because he was a really good hitter. You know, he hit for decent average. He walked an above average rate. He hit for above average power, even though he didn't get a lot of home runs. He only had, I think, 20 home runs or more in a season, like twice. But he hit a lot of doubles. You know, he was fast enough to lay out some triples. Um, you know, his overall offensive game wasn't like super exciting, but it was at, at his peak. Um, he was a solidly above average hitter. But I think um, two things about Alex Gordon that people are going to remember him by is, um, you know, as you say, he's he's he might be nominated for a gold glove this year, even though he's been pretty bad uh, at the plate. And I think Gordon will be remembered for his defense, uh, definitely. You know, with seven gold gloves and a potential eighth gold glove, I was looking at like the, the defensive data. I think he is one of – he should be nominated for a gold glove. I don't know if he'll win it, um, but he, co- he could, depending on how the voters swing. Um, it, That could be his eighth gold glove. You know, he has had a really great defensive career, and he has been just – Kind of the left fielder that you don't often see. Um, his range has been good, but he hits such a great uh, jump on the ball and he takes really great um, dives and he makes great decisions on when to dive and when not to dive. You know, you see a lot of fast players or players who are just really eager to just, you know, make a great play. But when Alex Gordon chose to, you know, leave his feet when he, he was reaching the end of his, his range, he knew exactly where to go. He knew where to position the glove. He knew how far to dive. I don't know if I've ever seen him miss like a diving play, you know, and, and that's, that's quite something. And then obviously his arm, his arm was really good. He threw out over 100 um, base runners, um, most of them at third base uh, and at the plate in his career. In the outfield, and uh, so people will remember him for his defense, definitely. But I think also, and part of the reason why this sort of hits so hard, is that Gordon is kind of like a symbol or an icon of the Royals themselves during that period. You know, he was drafted second overall, and he was you know very very highly regarded and he tore up the minors and he got bumped to the major league so quickly and he had all of this pressure and he just never really lived up to it until 2011 in which he kind of put it all together and that's when he was put in the outfield and he got a lot of his value and then you know he was at his best when the royals were at his best and when the royals you know fell from grace so to speak he he also fell from from grace in terms of his, his hitting production. So Gordon just sort of mirrors the Royals lot during that time. And there's a lot to like about him. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the ways that you can evaluate a player uh, outside the field or off the field is what their teammates will do and say for him. Um, publicly, and we just saw that this weekend that there are just so many players who are who have been touched by Gordon, um, both as a teammate and as a friend. That it's 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 really heartening to see that. Um, it's really easy to root for a guy who's a who's a good guy. You know, if you're rooting for Trevor Bauer because he's really good, that's great. But I don't think anybody would say that Trevor Bauer is a you know a good guy necessarily. Uh, and he certainly doesn't have the the type of, of impact that Gordon has had off the field. Um, and he's just a really wholesome. And I'm just rambling at this point because, you know, how can you not with Alex Gordon? For like 14 years and as a Royal, is it's just quite an accomplishment.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the off-the-field stuff because, you know, he was I think, nominated a couple of times for the Fred Hutcherson Award, which goes to, like, the player that in baseball who does, like, the most charity work and does the most, you know, for the community. And you know, he's done work with the Urban Youth Academy as well as Alex's Lemonade Stand, which is a uh, nonprofit that works towards eradicating childhood cancer. So, you know, that I think that's important. I think the, the, what his t- teammate said, um, you know, in the video montage before the game on Sunday, I think that speaks volumes because he was never really like a rah-rah guy. Like, you know, he wasn't like Mike Moustakas giving like rallying speeches or, you know, he was always kind of a, a quiet uh, lead by example guy who just went about his business. And, you know, Rustin Dodd had a really good article last week, uh, right before Gordon announced his retirement, uh, about how... Gordon has really been the model. He's like the guy they present in like videos and um and, and images around the the Royals like development complexes to show the minor leaguers like this is what you have to do to become, you know, an all-star. Uh, if you want to be a big leaguer and you want to um really uh, be at the top of your game, you have to work your butt off like Alex Gordon. And I, you know, like you mentioned, he was a guy that didn't necessarily uh have this 14-year career handed to him. I mean, he Came into this game as kind of a, a a highly regarded player, and then really had some setbacks. I mean, it's a major setbacks. I was at his first game, uh, ever, a 2007, his first big league game, where he came up with the bases loaded in the first inning. So much pressure on him. as a Midwestern kid, so we were rooting for him so so hard. Like we wanted one of us to finally you know come through and achieve. And and uh, he goes up and he strikes out in his first at bat, which is disappointing. And and then just kind of had you know, not a bad year, but I think a little bit underwhelming considering the ex- expectations on him and, and then went out to kind of have some, some actually bad years. And, and um, I think a lot of guys maybe would have folded at that point or maybe they their, their career would have been over and he kind of remade himself uh, famously into the game's best defensive left fielder. Um, Sean, you know, I was talking to some, some people about Alex Gordon and uh, you know, I think people were, you know, appreciative of Gordon, but I think there's also some like, you know, he only hit two fifty seven he wasn't a big home run guy, he wasn't a big RBI guy. Uh, by the traditional stats I think you know he would say that he was he maybe he was a little bit underwhelming. Um, and I think so so I think because of that a lot of people maybe are not super blown away by his numbers. Uh, and I think also there's a little bit of, of him being the number two overall pick coming up with such high expectations and 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 maybe not becoming like an MVP candidate. you know he was a, a really solid all-star for a couple of years. Uh, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know. I think some people maybe don't fully appreciate Alex Gordon the way maybe we do. Uh, so w- looking back, what do you think is going to be the general, I guess, legacy of Alex Gordon when it comes to, to most Royals fans?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, gosh, I wonder, I think, I think we're very lucky. Um, the, you know, I, whatever the fan, the fan base that has been able to watch seen the peak of Alex Gordon or the kind of the, uh, the, the curve that he's gone through, because, he was fine to begin with. I mean, people say he was a bust to begin with, but uh, his first two seasons he was worth almost five wins. So, you know, anybody would take that. Um, but then, yeah, we know he got demoted, switched positions. Um, uh, I looked at from 2011 to 2015, his triple slash was 281, 359, 450, which is good for a 122 WRC+. plus. Um, so, obviously, he was a 20% above league average hitter. Um, and then we all know about his defense. So, I mean, he was worth six and a half wins, five wins, four wins, five and a half. So, I mean, he he, he was clearly, uh, clearly good. But, uh, you know, a lot of the times, too, there's that recency bias where it's like, well, from 16 to now, basically 2020, he just didn't hit. And, you know, that's 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 what's going to stick a lot of people's minds for for Alex Gordon. Um, You know, same thing with Albert Pujols in a little bit. In a sense, obviously, Albert Pujols is a ridiculous Hall of Famer. Uh, but Pujols, you know, was so, so good, signed a new deal with the Angels, and then just kind of stunk. And so that's going to be left the bitter taste in some people's mouth. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself fortunate to be able to see, to be able to have been uh, a witness to the prime of Alex Gordon. And I think he's, and I'm sure we'll cover this here in a second, but for me, he's a. Uh, <clears throat> he's a no doubt Royals Hall of Famer and I would retire his number. He's one of the few guys. I'm a little more uh actually I'm a, I'm a little more lenient I guess on uh number retirements and for me uh number 4 should not be worn again.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting discussion. I mean, I think for a lot of organizations like they reserve that for like Hall of Fame caliber players, but I don't know if the standards should be that high for the Royals. I mean, like they've only had one Hall of Fame player in George Brett really that that spent his majority of his career in Kansas City. Uh, and so I think, I mean, and the, you know, the honoring numbers, I mean, I think kind of tends to be kind of a amorphous thing. It means a different thing to each organization. And, you know, for, for the Royals, I think Frank White is more than just a player. He's a guy that literally built the state, helped build the stadium. He's a symbol of the Royals Academy. He's a, he's a Kansas City kid who made himself one of the best second basemen in the games history, uh, you know, close to a borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, Some people would argue he is one. I don't think I'm that far, but definitely a very good player. And I can see, you know, he's meant so much to this organization. I can see putting him, retiring his number. Alex Gordon, I think I can see that case too. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to say his number should be retired, but I think that should definitely be a discussion worth having. I don't know, Matthew, where do you come down on whether number four should be retired in Royals history?
2: Yeah, I think the the thing to keep in mind here is that this isn't the Hall of Fame, and that there isn't there aren't people like voting for him, and this sort of statistical standard. You know, retiring a number is is kind of a subjective thing, and I mean that's that's why it's really hard, and why you'll get lots of different opinions on it from lots of different people. But I think that Gordon has sort of checked the boxes that you need to. Um, he played a really long career entirely in Kansas City. Uh, he was, um, you know, super important to their World Series win and to the playoff runs, um, and you know he had a really good long career and he had All Star selections. He had Gold Gloves, he had lots of Gold Gloves, as I talked about earlier. So I think he he sort of fits the the statistical. Um, check you know he's in the, basically the top six in in most categories uh most offensive categories on in the royals of all time uh in terms of counting stats and you know as for what he means to the club i think that's really where where it matters and that's i think where alex gordon sort of maybe outperforms his his statistical line is because you think of you know, if you close your eyes and you think of the playoff runs, you're probably going to think of Perez's uh, single at the end of the wildcard game. Um, and the second thing you'll think of, or the first thing you'll think of, either way, either of those hits are are, are good in either order, is uh, Alex Gordon's home run in the 2015 World Series um, against, against Familia in the, in the bottom of the ninth. And that that is such an iconic Royals moment that I think it just sort of adds to his, you know, his legend. Um, And I think that's really what you're enshrining. You're not enshrining a set of statistics or a performance. You're enshrining a person and what that person exemplified. And I think by those metrics or by those uh, methods of consideration, then Alex Gordon checks all those boxes.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, even if they don't retire his number, I would would love to see – a statue of him with that, you know, finger up in the air after he hit that home run. I think just that's just a cool way to remember that moment and, and remind every Royals fan about this era. So, so I think one way or the other, we're going to see a lot of ways to honor Alex Gordon. Uh, he'll, as Sean said, he's definitely going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame someday. Uh, just a matter of time. Um, you know, you mentioned the the, the World the, the World Series home run, uh, Sean. I was just curious what you know. Obviously, that's like the, the most memorable Alex Gordon moment. And I was just wondering if maybe there was another maybe more underrated moment in his career that you remember uh, from, for me, I think it's the, the time it's this catch he made in Tampa Bay. He was asked to play center field. I think maybe Lorenzo Kane was out with an injury. So they moved Gordon to center field and he just, uh, he gets tested, you know, in, in that first game. And there's a ball that goes all the way to the wall and he's running, sprinting all the way to the wall and run, you know, leaps at the wall, robs the guy of a double. And it's like, man, if he was on any other team that didn't have Lorenzo Cain or Draw Dyson, he'd probably be playing center field. I mean, he's good enough that he could probably make that transition, and here he is playing left field for us. So it was really a treat to see him be able to make those kind of plays. So for you, is there, is there another play that maybe stands out in his career?
1: No. You know, for me, it's just a compendium of stuff. You know, I, I don't think about, you know, you think of the diving into the stands. Yeah, you think about the World Series home run. You think about, right, your center field, or you think about all of the a million times i think he had a walk oh god there was one moment where uh, against the twins i think he had a walk off home run that was great i mean it's just a bunch of things that are like oh you know this is alex gordon he's one of those guys for this organization i think to me at least um is that you can think of his career by a bunch of different moments and it's not one individual event right so like when i think this is a, a a, a total kind of edge example. But when I think of Tony Payton Jr., I think about his uh, swinging with one arm, you know, or <laughs> when you think of, oh, who is it? Was it Grims? Who ran into the first baseman? Who oh, ran Jason, into Matt Harvey? Well, can Harvey or nailed
0: Jason Har- Grimsley with a relay throw?
1: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Like that. You know, you think of those moments, but Alex Gordon, I think of just of everything that he's done and, his 14 year career. So I don't have a favorite moment. I just, I just love Alex Gordon for everything that he's been in. And it's the same thing with like Lorenzo Cain with me. I, 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 you know, you think of the slot, you think of Kane's slide or going home from home to first against the blue Jays. Like you think of that for him, but for me, it's just everything Cain has done. It's the three home run game in New York. It was that slide. It's all the crazy catches he's made. It's that person wearing that shirt that says Lorenzo Cain covers half of America, you know, the cell phone tower shirt. So, I, I, that's exactly how it is with me, with, with Gordon. I just, everything about him, I just was such an incredible fan of his. So that's, uh, I, I just, yeah, everything with his career is is, is is what I would define him as.
2: Matthew? Yeah, yeah a couple of things uh, sort of related to, to what Sean was saying, uh, you know, the compendium. Two traits about Alex Gordon that I, that I kind of loved. Uh, one was the glove hat where he would just <laughs> stick his, his glove on his hat in the outfield. And that, I mean, that is objectively funny. Like, I don't care who you are. It's funny to see, you know, a very muscly man standing in the outfield getting paid millions of dollars with a glove on his hat. That's just funny. It's doubly funny that it's Alex Gordon, who is just, you know, really kind of quiet and, and not really, uh, you know, out there in terms of personality. Um, you would think it would be someone else, you know, like Perez or or, or something like that. But Nope. glove hat Uh, and the second thing was Alex Gordon's like unbelievable proficiency at uh, blowing bubble gum I remember there was one I don't remember what game it is or what opponent um, but I remember that he was blowing a bubble as he was sprinting from third base and sliding into home and there was a play at the plate and there's this picture of Alex Gordon sliding into the plate and he's just got this full bubble that he's blown just as he was sprinting down third base and, and going into this play at the plate and, and you would see him, you know, blowing bubbles around the pace paths or, you know, in the outfield. Like, I, I also remember a, a similar thing where he was, there was a, a big moment and he was doing a diving catch and he was just like blowing a bubble while he was doing it. And and it's just those sort of little moments that made Alex Gordon, you know, Alex, uh, is, is stuff that I'll remember him by too.
1: Hey, um, and I wanted to add one thing he doesn't get, that I feel like he doesn't get credit for necessarily, or, or something that gets forgotten. I think... Um, we know about the home run against Familia in the World Series but um I feel like sometimes people forget that he hit the the triple uh against the against Bumgardner the prior year in the World Series um obviously we know the famous they should have sent him thing but yeah uh, I think that was one of his gigantic moments that I feel like I don't hear people talk about but yeah I mean he was potentially the the, the game tying uh run with two outs in the ninth um off of Bumgarner for that uh, triple so that's uh, that's something that I'm gonna throw in his scrapbook.
0: Yeah, that was very close to becoming one of the coolest moments in World Series. Like, can you imagine if, you know, maybe oh, yeah. there's a uh, Crawford or someone bobbles it, or there's a weird ba- another weird bounce, yeah. and somehow he's able to make it. I mean, that's just like one of the most um, insane endings. And of course, that wouldn't have ended the game, but yeah. that potentially could have been one of the most insane endings to a World
1: Series s- ever. I mean, I was jumping and shouting in my living room. I mean, I know exactly that moment. I was sitting there yelling as loud as I could to keep going. And I mean, you know, he probably was out, but still, I, I can imagine everybody can remember where they were thinking like, oh, keep going, you know, keep going, and yeah. shouting.
0: You know, I mentioned that Gordon is fourth among Royals position players in wins above replacement. Bill James, the the Hall of Fame, well, should be a Hall of Fame uh, uh, writer and and, and, and father of sabermetrics, uh, and, of course, a, a noted Royals fan as he uh, lives in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, he came up with a, a list on his own website uh, of kind of ranking Royals in history uh, using a, a point system based largely on his win shares, which is kind of his attempt at, at, at uh, coming up with a player's value with one number. Uh, it's an interesting list. And, you know, obviously, George Brett tops it. Uh, he has Amos Otis second, Willie Wilson third, Hal McCray fourth, uh, Frank White is fifth, which may be a little surprising to some people, uh, and then he has Alex Gordon sixth, uh, rounding out the top ten is Dan Quisenberry, John Mayberry, Brett Saberhagen, and Eric Hosmer at ten. Uh, I just, I just want to get your guys' reaction of where you think Gordon maybe ranks in club history overall, um, and and then if you had any thoughts about this list, about any any other rankings that maybe stood out to you, Matthew.
2: Yeah, I well by bill james's um metrics and how he put together the list that seems about right doesn't it um because he talks about the the win with the win in the article he talks about um, there's a there's a bonus that you get for being in the playoffs so for example uh you know someone like mike sweeney who ranks 14th you know uh, maybe he would rank higher if the royals had playoffs and he could you know be uh, you know, himself in the playoffs. Um certainly, you know, he had a, a longer, uh, and arguably better career than Eric Cosmer did. But you know what Eric Cosmer had, he had he had time in the playoffs to um sort of advance his his royal legacy there. Um so I mean that seems about right. Um I, I do think it's maybe a little heavily weighted towards sort of the old guard, you know. Um obviously Brett, but Otis Wilson, McRae, White Quisenberry, Mary Saberhagen. Um, but, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to argue with, the, with that list. I think if you're looking at the greatest royals of all time, certainly um, one Zach Granke would be much higher than he is. He has Zach Granke ranked 35th, which is baloney. this is a family podcast now, so it is <laughs> baloney that he is ranked 35th. Zach Granke is a true treasure. Like, are you Joe Rand ahead of Zach Granke? Like, please, no. Um, Cid is Escobar ahead of Grinky. I don't think so Johnny Damon like all of these guys yeah no uh, Whit Merrifield is 33rd which seems both kind of low and kind of high at the same time depending on how you're thinking about it um, but yeah my, my biggest uh, thing with this list my biggest issue with this list is that Z- Grinky is too dang low and he should be much higher but in terms of, of how we put the list together like it, it makes sense
0: my big complaint is that Kyle Davies is 197th, and he shouldn't be on the list.
2: Like, <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> It's crazy. The list does go to 198,
0: although there's like 10 guys listed there, so it's actually like over 200. So uh, Mike Miner is last on the list if if you were interested in uh, how deep that list goes. Uh, Sean, did you have any impressions from that list, and where do you think Gordon ranks in Royals history?
1: Yeah, Gordon's a little higher than me. Um, <clears throat> wind shares is depending upon how many – wins the team has so it can be you know kind of a discrepancy there but yeah i mean he's uh was i going to say with yeah with grinky being that low i mean they have david de jesus below alcides escobar and they've got grinky lower than that um so i I think i I think that that top 10 ish is fine hosmer would not be 10th um but I, i can't argue with much of that and you know to truth be told I didn't grow up watching Amos Modus or Willie Wilson or Hal McRae. So it's not as if I have fond memories of those guys and, you know, have a historical background to base it off of. But yeah, I, I, there's a lot, there's a lot missing there, I think. And I love Billy Butler, but he's 20th. And like we've always been pointing out, Grinky's 35th. Um, so I don't quite think that's about fair. Uh, mainly because Butler just played on better teams than Grinky did. Even though Butler wasn't necessarily on all the great Royals teams, he was on that 2014 team. Um, so, I uh, yeah, I'm I don't quite think that that list. There's got some flaws in it, but I think that the top ten you can mostly mostly live with.
0: Well, Butler's a kind of interesting because he he really only played on that one one good 2014 team. I guess 2013 too. So it's interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised he's so high. I'm surprised Mike Mustakas is so low. Mike Mustakas is 31st, and yeah. he played on some good teams and had some postseason moments. On the other hand, I forget. You know, you, we forget how kind of bad Mike Mustakas was for the first, like, what, four years. Um, so I, that probably drags him down quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. The top of the list, I think Amos Otis has long been, like, the guy that I'm like, man, this guy is, like, really underrated in Frank. Like, no one yeah. really talks about him, and he was a super phenomenal player uh, who probably should be talked about the way Frank White is in club history uh, and just isn't for whatever reason. And, and I think there's probably a decent argument um, if you're going to retire Alex Gordon's number, then you probably to retire Amos Otis's number as well. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that Bill has Amos up so high. Number two, Willie Wilson as well. I think Willie Wilson's probably a tad underrated. And Clubhouse Street, ha McCray as well. Um, Hosmer is a little puzzling. I'm surprised Hosmer's ahead of Salvy. I mean, I think Salvi's probably been more valuable than Hosmer. I mean, I think he has been more valuable than, Sal- than Hosmer. And he's also played in Kansas City more seasons. So I'm kind of surprised Salvy's not as high. I mean, he's a World Series MVP, so he's got the the postseason bona fides uh so yeah there's there's a couple things that i think you can quibble with i think it's generally a pretty it's an interesting list of nothing else and i don't think it's supposed to be like an end-all be-all just kind of a conversation starter and, and it's kind of interesting and uh if you want to check it out we'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes but it's at bill uh it's called a galaxy of royal stars so just kind of an interesting list um, to check out um let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll uh, wrap up the royal season and talk uh, a little bit about the major league baseball playoffs all right, well, the uh, Royals did finish the season this year, 26-34. and 34. Uh, If you were to uh, ex- extrapolate that to a full 160-game season, they would have uh, finished 70-92. So maybe a little bit better. I mean, definitely better than last year's results. Um, and it seems like they made some progress this year. We definitely saw some, some signs of improvement from some of the pitchers. Um, but when you look back on the season, Matthew, was it a success in your mind? And what kind of went right and wrong for the team in 2020?
2: I certainly think there were more things that went right for the team this year than the last couple of years. Uh, Maybe that's a little obvious because you don't lose 103 games and then 104 games um, if things are going right. But this year was sort of the first year that the Royals had some of their, if you want to call it, like the new wave of talent. Uh, We saw that most obviously – in uh brady singer and chris Bubich, um who comprised two fifths of the rotation but we also saw some some other you know really strong things uh brad keller was really good this year um the royals bullpen which coming into the year was honestly a big question mark they got a lot of really good um uh, play out of that bullpen right uh zimmer was really great uh stalmont uh, was wild as ever but he struck out a billion guys and was maybe the most electric player to watch uh the electric the most electric pitcher to watch in the major leagues this season uh it's just unbelievable like when stalmont is on there's no way to to get a hit off of him i, I just do not understand how anybody ever does anything but strike out against him when he's on his game um but scott baller was pretty good again um you know, I we we saw some some good developments um, where the Royals kind of needed it, and I think um, you know Brady Singer and Chris Bubich I think were uh, you know two of the highlights for the year. Um, Brady Singer ended with a uh, ERA FIP and xFIP of all between 4.05 and 4.08, so he was he was pretty consistent. Um, so that for those who don't know, that indicates um, that there wasn't like a whole lot of bad luck or good luck involved. Um, and he, he was basically like over a full season, like a two and a half win pitcher just right out of the gate. And that's pretty unusual for, for Royals uh, starters and Bubich at times looked even better than Brady Singer. He he kind of had some issues later in the year, but uh, you know, he was, you know, like a one and a half win pitcher just right out of the gate. And uh Bubic is uh still uh or he just turned twenty-three uh, a month ago. So I think those are the obvious things and I think that moving forward, as we talked about on a on a previous podcast, but the Royals have, have more pitching depth, more starting pitching depth coming into next year than I think they maybe ever have, like in the past. You know, 14 years ever since Dayton Moore has been here, certainly, you know, at the beginning, but even, you know, in the middle years, um, you have uh, Keller Singer and um, Bubich, and then you on the horizon have uh, Daniel Lentz and Jackson Coar. Oh, and you also have Danny Duffy and Jake Junis, who might not be like superstars on their own, but, you know, those are definitely big league capable arms. So that's just like seven guys who just right now today um, would be. You know, definite fits in most organizations, uh, you know, top seven starting pitcher uh, depth. So so I think that's that's probably the 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 main positives is that the Royals brought up um, Singer and Bubich, um, and they were good, and their uh, bullpen arms were also really good. And all of those guys that that I just mentioned from singer to Bubich to uh, Stalmont – um, to Zimmer uh, and Barlow, those guys are all making the league minimum. They haven't hit arbitration yet, so it's not like the, those guys are all, you know, um, old guys who they're going to lose um, control over in the next couple of seasons. The Royals do have a couple of those, um, but uh, by and large, their pitching has been was was really kind of surprisingly pleasant this year, which is not something that one can often say about the Royals.
0: Yeah, you didn't even mention Aza Lacy, who is their their twenty 2020- twenty first-round pick, and, and, and I wouldn't expect him to be uh, in the minor leagues very long. He, he could be in the big leagues before, uh, you know, if there's a minor league season, he could be in the big leagues, you know, within the next year or so. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's there's definitely some pitching there. Uh, Sean, you know, the, the Royals are obviously in a rebuild. I know they don't want to say they are, but, um, you know, when you're in a rebuild and there's no minor league season, uh, it seems like that could be a pretty serious setback. Uh, but there were some positives that the Royals could kind of hang their hat on this year, Does this this season make you feel any better about where they are on the rebuild or is this uh, lost minor league season um, kind of pretty detrimental to their hopes of wanting to contend pretty soon?
1: Yeah. I mean, the big thing I was worried about was with uh, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. He was already kind of behind the eight ball with him being a little older um, for his draft class, already 19 when he was drafted. um, And then obviously didn't get to, for the most part, did not get to play a, you know, a formal, uh, minor league season in his age 20 so he'll be t- he'll be technically going into his age 21 season um next year despite and would have effectively uh, 180 plate appearances and, it, and that's in rookie ball so um two years after being drafted as an already kind of older player you have zero full season um MLB or excuse me full season experience so that was a concern but it was nice that they got a lot of activity in the alternate site and they actually got the play. So it wasn't quite as bad as just straight up didn't do anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we bemoan enough about Merrifield not being traded, um, Holland not being traded. I mean, there was, there was some there were some some guys that probably should have been traded that weren't, which, you know, slows a bit of a rebuild. Um but you know you got to have some guys like matt mentioned you you definitely they they use their roster for the most part effectively in trying out guys that need to just keep uh seeing what they've got so i think it's about neutral give or take um i don't know if at any better or worse because the guys that they did trade the returns were just you know kind of what we expect from kind of Dayton more uh kind of player and so i think we're about even uh adding in lacy gives you a little bit of a bump in the sense of now you've added, you know, arguably a top 50 prospect into the organization. But I'd say on the whole, I am not, I'm not thinking we made that like Cubs, uh, 2014 leap. I think whatever it was where they went from like the number 27th org all the way up to like the 10th, you know, they had a gigantic jump up because a bunch of prospects got better. They made trades. They had a great draft. I, I think that where uh, Royals aren't quite there, but, um, you know, at least they didn't necessarily take a step backwards, I would say. Um, that's that's a positive in a sense. I know that sounds like kind of a more neutral or negative, but they, they didn't get worse, I would say, um, over the, the course of the year.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's right. I think they, they definitely are still on the right track. Now, maybe they're not accelerating as fast as some people would like, but I definitely do think they're kind of slowly progressing to where they want to be eventually. Uh, and look, it's going to be I've said this a lot, but it's, it's it's harder. It's a lot easier to get from, like, 60 wins to 78 wins. It's going to be a lot harder to get from 78 to 90. Uh, so that, you know, they'll have the work cut out for them then. But I think they are on the on the way of, to getting back to being a respectable major league team. And, you know, the, some of the things I – I mean, I think I like, you know, what, what Matthew talked about with the pitching. You know, it's definitely nice to have that, that arsenal of young pitchers coming up. And I think it is – setback to not have a minor league season but we did get to see some of those guys um and next year we'll hopefully we'll get to see more daniel lynch and jackson kowar and maybe austin cox and jonathan boland uh so there's some could be some really interesting guys coming up i think what what i was kind of encouraged by this year is the acquisition of franchi cordero and edward uh, Oliveras. uh not that they're like super great players but um i think they showed me a little something i mean cordero came back at the end of the year and just looked effortless with a couple of home runs at the end of the year. Oliveris certainly seemed to to show a little bit of a spark. Um, you know, he's, he's got some pop in his bat. He shows some speed. He's kind of wiry. Um, I, you know, he, he brings something to the table. Maybe neither of them work out, but I like the fact that they're bringing in guys uh, into the organization um, and, and bringing in some fresh blood. Because if there's been one... I guess one of my constant criticisms of the organization it's that they don't really make enough trades for young guys. And you may say, well, you know, you need guys to trade guys, but I think they tend to kind of hold on to their guys too much uh, and get too wedded to some of their players. And so it was, you know, I know the Brett Phillips for Lucius Fox deal wasn't like a big deal, but uh, I think they need, need to make more of those kind of trades where they give up a player and get another player who maybe is fall, fell out of favor in their organization um, and, and and kind of. Look for guys that just need a, a new, uh, you know, change in atmosphere. Um, and, you know, maybe Ryan McGroom was one of those guys. You know, I, I really liked that deal at the time. And, and maybe he'll he'll pan out and maybe he won't. But uh, you need to give a lot of those younger guys a chance. And I, so I was kind of glad to see them. And I'm really, you know, interested in seeing what those guys do next year. Uh, so I think that that was a positive thing. Uh, Matthew, if there was like, like maybe a negative that makes gives you pause about the direction of this franchise, was there anything... In 2020 that kind of um maybe cast some doubt onto whether this rebuild will be successful or not
2: um i, I think as as sean said it's really kind of hard to know um that um, without a minor league season um it's it's nice that they uh they got some time at the alternate side and i really do think that for for some of them it's a really great uh great place for them to be i mean you think of the the talent, of those 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 players like you take a look at the guys who are there the average talent of their of that alternate site was probably about like double a or triple a so you know sure bobby Witt wasn't you know facing other teams in the minor leagues in the same competitive environment but you know who he was facing he was facing jackson Coar and asa lacy and daniel lynch and he was facing those guys and that's just much higher talent level than you would be facing at like low A or in Wilmington this year. So uh, there's some trade offs there. I, I think like that, we still don't know the trio of MJ Melendez, uh, Nick Prado and Suley Matias. We, we really don't know if they have improved. Like it, you know, the Royals have said they've all looked great, but those three were to be perfectly honest, like pretty garbage the year before. Uh, if you to look at their batting lines, it was, it was just, it just carnage. And so, yeah, they got some work, but are they actually going to be better? You know, we see this in spring training that there's someone who has, you know, retooled his swing or is in the best shape of their life and there's all this optimism and then the rubber meets the road and they're, they're not good. Um, I think Bubba Starling is an example of that. There was, you know, he retooled his swing and he was worse than ever. Um, so I, I, I think that is the most frustrating thing to me is the Royals needs some position players and we still don't know um, if the three you know high school position players that that they got, the three high school age position players that they have there, um, we don't know if they're an answer or if all three of them are on the road to flaming out, and it's the long-term uh, prospects of the organization kind of look really different if one of those players is like a legit above average, um, you know, a, a guy who could turn into an above average player. But we, we really we really don't know. Um, and then before, a few weeks ago, I would say that Mondesi was in that list, um, but Mondesi just caught on fire and then uh, caught everything on fire around him and is still burning. Um, and who knows where he would be. He went from like, a WRC plus um, of 14 to like 90 in a span of less than a month, which is just an unbelievable string of, of just hard hit balls and stolen bases. And it just, that, that was something fun to see, but um, you know, he's, he was kind of similar to last year, you know, Mondesi at the end of the day did not show that over 60 games, he could be an above average hitter. And um, the short stints where he's been really good have come, but he still, over his career, is um, an 82 WRC Plus hitter. And he didn't show this year that he was a good hitter, and he still, in four of the five seasons, um, has a below average uh, WRC Plus. So if you want to... You know, look over his most recent hot streak or I think more properly put it if you want to uh, put that into some context Mondesi didn't really still show us that hey this is the guy you know he was great for four weeks that's cool baseball seasons are longer than four weeks so it'll be interesting to see what he's like next year and I don't think really anybody really knows what he's going to be like next year if he's Francisco Lindor you know that'll be great if he's you know Chris Owings uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised at that either
0: yeah, this I'm glad you brought him up because his numbers are just insane this year. He so his, his first 37 games, he had 179, the 209 on base percentage, uh, 231 slug. I think someone on uh, the internet and on Twitter posted he had like a negative, uh, negative .4 wins above replacement for that stretch. Over his last 22 games, he hit 379, 424 on base percentage, 706 slug. With seven, and what's surprising to me is he had seven walks in 22 games, which that's, that's got to be like a, a career high for for that kind of stretch for him. Uh, I don't know, Sean, like what do you make of Alberto Monesi at this point? I mean, I, I think it's quite possible at the beginning of the year he was still nursing a shoulder injury. Some people said maybe he was dealing something off the field because certainly his head didn't seem to be kind of you know screwed on right at the beginning of the season. I don't want to speculate too much of that. But, you know, maybe the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, you know the hiatus kind of threw him off or you know wearing a mask we saw him wear a mask the first couple of games kind of ditched that after a while perhaps that threw him off but he it's just bizarre how Jekyll and Hyde he was this year and like Matthew said can we really expect anything out of him next year I mean like it could he could be an MVP he could be the worst player in baseball
1: yeah I mean you know in the end his career numbers excuse me in the end his 2019 2020 season ended up being pretty just close to his career numbers and in fact a lot of his stuff if you look at his his line from last year a lot of it's like almost exactly identical from like i think it's like his walk rate his slugging his iso are like almost the exact same number so i think that was a lot of it is it basically just ended up making it uh, he had that really low uh, whatever you want to call it that that terrible cold streak and then he had that really hot streak and that's kind of just what high volatility hitters are uh, a, a long run of cold a long run of hot to kind of get them to an average number so I don't think necessarily uh, I think uh, I don't think that I was more or less encouraged because you've got the injury right that we heard about but he had the he had an injury last year he had one the prior year it's like you know at some point the guy's at 1200 plate appearances he's gonna have to hit. Um and I, I made an uh, analogy to kind of Salvador Perez, right? Where it's a guy who's a flawed hitter. Uh we know both Perez and Monassi have issues. Um Perez swings at everything and makes contact. Uh Monassi swings at a lot of stuff and doesn't make contact. But I, I think that with uh you've got these two hitters that are flawed, but when they're on, they're on and they have really good stretches. But ultimately, um it's 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 a fundamental issue that that keeps them down. So um, I wouldn't say I'm more or less encouraged about Monacy in 2021 other than, you know, is he going to be healthy? And is he going to be more than even an 85, 90 WRC plus center, which still would be a good player given all of his, his speed and his defense. But I think you need more before you really start saying like, Oh, we're finally here with what he should be.
0: Yeah. There's some talk like in the Kansas City sports media about like, Oh, it's too bad the season didn't go on further because then we could really see what Monsey could do. And I, you know, I think there's some of that. Some of that's true, definitely. But on the other hand, like, as the season would have progressed, pitchers would have adjusted, right? They would have given him much to hit, and then we would have had to see could Montes adjust and lay off the pitches out of the strike zone um, that have traditionally given him a lot of problems. Because um, I think what I, I was looking at the numbers a couple weeks ago and. He is—he still swinging a lot uh, of a lot of you know pitches out of the strike zone. He was just making uh, like you know a little more contact uh, late in the season, uh, and so I you know I, I would have been curious to see if he can finally make that adjustment. And I guess I'm a little you know dubious at age 25 that he's going to be able to learn that and lay off the you know the slider off the plate. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, like like you like, like both of you guys say, like he kind of is what he is at this point. Like I was looking at his. Per 162 game average over the last three seasons. So if you were to take the numbers from the last three seasons and put over, put them, you know, prorate them for 162 games, you know, he'd be a 265 hitter, 296 on base, 444 slug, with 20 home runs and 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 uh, 68 steals, which that's pretty valuable. I mean, that's with his defense, that's you know, like you said, like a three or four win player. That's not like an MVP. That's still a below league average bat. We, we're talking about just his bat. Um, but you'll take that, but that's not really like an MVP or even an necessarily an All-Star level player. So I kind of think that's that'll kind of be what he is. Now there may be like a season where he kind of puts it all together and you do see maybe a I don't know about MVP type season, but like a guy that's a legit All-Star that you know at least gets talked about maybe by local media as a guy that should be an MVP candidate. So, but I you know I don't know if I would expect that like year in year out. I think like you say 1,200. At bats at this point, that kind of is what he is. A lot of guys don't really break out and reach a new level uh, performance uh, at that point, um, but that does not to say he can have he can't have a really nice career uh, in a Royals uniform as a valuable shortstop. So, you know, I, I'm really curious to see what he does next year. I think it's going to be a, a fairly pivotal year for his career, and, and uh, uh, we'll have to see what he does. Um, let's uh, let's let's turn now to the playoffs, and of course, we have, you know as we talked about at the beginning. We have an expanded playoff system this year. We have eight teams from each league making the playoffs this year. Uh, I guess just kind of want to briefly look over the playoffs and uh, just taking a look at the brackets. We don't have to go through all the other, all the different matchups, but um, let's go through our league championship series matchups. If you were to guess who is going to end up in the ALCS, uh, Matthew, who would you predict, predict right now in the ALCS and NLCS?
2: Well, should I predict who I would like to to go or who I think should go? Um I think um, I think the Yankees are still pretty dangerous. Um, I don't know if Cleveland has has the bat to really stop them in the first round. Um, you know, they've got the pitching, um, but the Yankees are a really good hitting team. Uh, so there's that. Um, the Rays are, are really good. Um, I think it'll be the, either the Yankees or the Rays um, in, in, the, uh, in the ALCS um, or in the World Series, um, whichever one makes it that far. Um, I think Dark Horse candidate goes to either of the teams at the bottom of the bracket. I think the A's have been, like, sneaky good this year. Um, and then the White Sox are just, you know, I, Royals have seen them all the, all the time this year. but The White Sox are kind of a blast. Um. So that's what I would say for the for the ALCS. And did you ask about the NL? Yeah,
0: let's hear your national. Uh, who do you want, and who do you think will be there?
2: I do not want the Brewers to advance past the wild card with their record. I I would like the Dodgers to crush them. I'm sorry, Milwaukee. You should not pass go and collect $200 if you have a losing record in the playoffs. Um, I would love to see um a like Reds Dodgers NLCS. Um, I don't really think that'll happen. I think, honestly, I'm not really kind of kind of happy about any of the teams like in in the bottom bracket. I, th- I think the Cubs and the Marlins and the and the uh, and the Braves and the Reds like they they all they're all kind of flawed teams. So I think I think probably it's going to be the um, the Dodgers and the Padres um, who are going to be fighting for uh, the National League spot in the World Series against whoever comes out of that bottom bracket.
0: I should point out that I didn't even know until last week the, how they seeded these teams. Like, it's it's not just, like, the top eight teams by record. It's, like, this stupid system where, like, each of the top first-place teams get the first three seeds. Then the second-place teams get the th- next three seeds. And then, finally, the next two best teams get the bottom two seeds. So, like, the Astros, who have a losing record at 29-31, they're the eighth-best team in the playoffs. They are the sixth seed in the American League, which seems totally stupid to me. I don't get it at all. Uh, I don't know, Sean, yeah. who, Sean. Who do you like in the uh, in the ALCS and NLCS?
1: Um, so I've got. I don't really have a preference for anybody. Um, you know, I don't dislike or like necessarily any team that's there. Um, that made the playoffs. I've got. I'll just go through my bracket real quick. I've got Rays over Jays. I've got Yankees over Cleveland. I've got the Twins over the Astros and the White Sox over the A's, although that White Sox A's one's really, is going to make me lose a little bit of sleep on that pick. But, um, so that would be Twins, White Sox in the, uh, the divisional series. Um, right. Are we calling it the divisional series? I don't know what to call it. I think Uh, we're still
0: going with divisional series. Although yeah, it's the second round, the sweet 16. I don't know what they call it (laughs)
1: now. Uh, so I've got, I've got White Sox twins in that matchup. I've got the twins. I, 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 Gosh, it's so stupid to pick a twin to win to win any playoff series. But <laughs> the Nationals broke that curse last year for teams that couldn't win playoff series. Um, so, and then I've got the Yankees beating the the Rays. And you and I have been big Rays fans. I think Max. We before the season started, we talked about how the Rays are going to be able to squeak out a bunch of wins, and obviously they did. Um, so, but I think I've got then then from there. I'm really kind of stuck between Yankees or White Sox. Uh, or excuse me, Yankees or Twins. Um, And I'm going to go Yankees on that one, um, which then leaves me with the NL. And I've got the Dodgers over Brewers, Padres over Cardinals, uh, Cubs over Marlins, Braves over Reds. So we've got Cubs, Braves in the NLDS, and I'll take the Cubs. And then we've got Padres, Dodgers, and I've got the Dodgers. So it's Dodgers, Cubs in my NLCS. And I guess the Dodgers, I got kind of stuck on that one. I wasn't sure. Um, I think the Cubs are kind of sneaky good. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Dodgers. So that means Dodgers, Yankees, World Series. Um, I, I don't know. Dodgers are the better team uh, all around. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to still see the Yankees uh, when it. You know, once you get to that, you're you're basically just throwing stuff up in the air on on any five or best of seven series. So uh, I'll go Dodgers on this one. But that that's my that's my bracket. Yeah,
0: I I probably guess I cut you off, Matthew, before you got a chance. Did you want to give your World Series uh, predictions and who who you had as the eventual champs this year?
2: Oh, that's no, that's fine. I don't really have. I mean, uh, earlier. Oh, I, I I pulled up our um, predictions thread uh, from from earlier, um, trying to get. And by from earlier I mean from the beginning of the season. Uh, my World Series predictions is Dodgers over Yankees. Um and that's still entirely possible. So I'll stick with that. Well but what I was going to say is I'm just ecstatic for Twins fans that the Twins aren't facing the Yankees. Like <laughs> I, I think like normally like I'd have to double-check this, but before I knew the the ridiculous ranking system, I thought the Twins and the Yankees were going to face each other, and I went, oh, no, not again. But uh, the Twins can thank the baseball gods because they're not facing the Yankees this year. So, oh, maybe they can win a game.
0: They're, they're going to be... All of America is going to be cheering for the Twins because they play the Astros in the first round, so everyone's going to be pulling for them. You know, they're, they're a rival, but I, there was a comment in one of the threads today about how the the Twins are kind of like our... Older brother or younger brother, I guess. Um, they're they're our brother. They're kind of like our Midwestern brother. They usually come down uh, and watch games at Kauffman Stadium. They make the trip for to watch the Twins on the road. Uh, and so it's and it, it's kind of hard to not to, to dislike them. I mean, they've always had kind of a likable team. They that Twins fans are so super nice. Um, so I'm kind of rooting for them. Uh, they're kind of the team I want to win it all. Um, I I would cheer for the Rays just because I think they're I think they should be rewarded for being really good this year and, and just being a smart organization. But I have a hard time rooting for teams that don't have much of a fan base. So step it up, Rays fans. And I know there's some good Rays fans out there. Uh, they deserve better. Uh, but Twins fans are really great. I'd like to see them reward. They haven't won it uh, in over 30 years. So I'd kind of like to see them in it. In it. And I, and the Dodgers, I think, you know, we forget they've been such a behemoth the last couple of years, but they haven't won it in 30 years. Uh, and I'd like to see regular season greatness rewarded so i kind of want to see the twins and the dodgers match up i think i mentioned this before last week it, you know rematch of the 65 world series although much different times now but both teams can can really mash so i think that'd be a lot of fun to watch uh but I, i'd be happy seeing the rays or the a's um the cubbies i think might be kind of fun to see in the, in the world series the padres i think would be a really exciting team with their young players obviously a lot of royals connections there as well i don't think there's a lot of teams i don't want to see in the in the world series, other than kind of the teams that are mediocre and the Yankees, of course, and the Cardinals. I don't want to see those two teams. Other than that, I think I could deal with a lot of uh, different matchups. I do think the Yankees, I mean, they just kind of been lurking there. They had a a slump in the middle of the season, but they just seem really scary to me in the postseason. I, I think they're going to be really tough and and it kind of seems like Dodgers Yankees. I know that's probably gonna be a popular pick, but um, those just seem like, I mean, the Dodgers seem loaded and then the Yankees you know they're always kind of scary and I think uh you just always think that the Yankees just have other teams numbers when it comes to the postseason so you know let's see it's an interesting format it's a different format um uh, I guess you know I'm not a fan of the expanded playoffs but uh at least it's a lot of baseball we get to watch over the next couple of weeks which would be kind of fun I mean I think I saw Wednesday's schedule there's like seven games that day uh, all throughout the day so that'll be a lot of fun to watch, and, and uh, Uh, I don't know who knows maybe by the end of this I'll be for expanded playoffs and uh because it's probably coming anyway so uh let's wrap it up this week uh with our Royals review reviews Matthew uh why don't you lead it off tonight
2: okay quick story regarding Twins fans so um two years ago uh, my parents who live in Iowa um and who used to live in Kansas City um and myself and my wife um went to see a Royals twins game. Um, and we wore all of our Royals apparel, um, in, in Minneapolis. Um, and the twins won. And as we were leaving and going back to our cars, uh, a pair of twins fans, um, le- like legitimately and sincerely apologized to us that the twins won that night. And, uh, <laughs> that, that sounds like they were making fun of us, but they were not. They were actually sorry that we came up from Kansas city to see the twins, uh, beat our team. So, you know, go twins fans. Um, my review is uh, a book review, so um, you may remember uh, back in the day a series of books uh, started with Aragon, uh, Aragon, eldest, uh, bruisinger, and uh, inheritance. So there was; those were written by a guy named Christopher Paolini, and uh, for a lot of us, we read those when we were kids. Um, After a very long time, I think Inheritance was released in 2011, 2012, something. Um, So Paolini's next book, um, which is totally different than those four. um, It's a science fiction book um, written for, um, uh, not written for the young adult audience. It's just like a standard issue, you know, adult science fiction fiction book. Um, And uh, it's called To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Uh, It's very good. I would highly recommend it. It is pretty long, though. Um, it's basically like two books that are slapped together in one gigantic eight hundred, eight hundred uh, page uh, thing. But it's really good. And um, if you're a fan of his earlier books, you know his his prose wasn't exactly the best. But he, you know, Pauline was really young when he first started writing Aragon and published it. Um, but his, you know, world building was really interesting. Was always really interesting. And he so he is uh, sort of hammered out the like bad writing um, in, you know, 20 years of, of applying his craft there. Um, and so to sleep in a sea of stars is a, is a really good book and I would recommend it, especially if you're fans of his other books.
0: All right. We'll have to check that out. Matt or Sean, what do you have for a minute?
1: You know, I don't think I have anything somehow. I, uh, <laughs> I, I have not watched anything really new. I've just been rewatching stuff, uh, randomly kind of in the background. Um, yeah, I can't think of... I haven't watched any... There's been no really new TV shows out. I've been watching a lot of Married at First Sight, um, which is, you know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but uh, people get married. They they get they, they meet each other the first time they get married at the altar, or they meet each other for the first time at the altar and get married. I haven't been watching that, I'll admit. Uh, but I've just been doing been busy with other stuff, so I've actually not seen much. Um, but I will recommend a movie I did watch, uh, the Steve, Steve Jobs. I love it. It's Aaron Sorkin-written movie. Um What's his name that did, oh my gosh, did, did 72 hours, oh, uh, Nick not Boyle, gosh dang it, what's the, uh, now I gotta look it up, I should have known this, Danny Boyle, good lord, uh, Danny Boyle directed it, uh, Michael Fassbender played Steve Jobs, I, I love it, and it's on Netflix, so that'll be my cheapo. Uh, Royals review review and that uh, go watch that movie because it's fantastic. So that's my cop out one.
0: <laughs> I will admit that we also watched a little bit of Married at First, <laughs> first Sight. So All right. everyone's everyone's allowed to have a, a kind of a, a, a indulgence like that. Uh, my Re- Royals review review this week is, is more of a recommendation. Just uh, I don't want to make this political, but uh, and it shouldn't be that political to say that uh, you should go out and vote. Uh, I highly urge everyone. I know there's concerns about coronavirus, uh, so if you Uh, If you don't feel comfortable going to the voting site, uh, uh, most states, including Missouri and Kansas, are allowing mail-in voting, uh, even without an excuse. Although, if you are not in Missouri and Kansas, you should check your jurisdiction to make sure that they allow mail-in voting without an excuse. But uh, voting in Missouri, you can request a ballot up to October 21st, Uh, and in Kansas, you can request it up to October 27th. Uh, and Kansas, I know, will have some drop-off boxes if you want to drop them off. Or you can just send them the regular mail. And I know there's been some, some news about uh, delays, but, but they, will, uh, they, they should be able to get your um, uh, ballot to the election authorities in time. Uh, so definitely go out and vote. in Kansas, you can also vote early, uh, beginning October 14th. They'll have stations set up uh, in certain jurisdictions. So you can go in and vote early if you want. Uh, so I highly recommend uh, people do that. Uh, I'm a big fan of democracy. I hope we keep it. Uh, it's 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 got a lot of issues, and I know there's a lot of issues with our, with our politics right now, but um, voting is our one way of keeping um, our elected officials in check. So I highly recommend that, and uh, I hope you go all go out and vote. So that'll do it for this, us this week. Uh, thanks to Sean and Matthew for being on the show. We'll get them out of here so they can watch the Chiefs game. And thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site, and we'll talk to you next
1: time. Hey!